0: You can't just memorize ten thousand things and then be good to go. That's not no. mm-hmm. like it. It's all about the problem solving skills, and and I think one of the advantages that college gives is is the ability to acquire a diversity of foundational knowledge about things.
1: Yeah, it gives. Um, the, right, I was yeah, I would say it gives you the opportunity to, opportunity to do that, but it doesn't make you do that right because yep, you still yeah. get to choose well, okay, your path. Through. Choices have
0: consequences. <laughs> <right>? <laughs> yes. yep. So if you're doing an evil playthrough of college. <laughs> Butters- Shenanigans. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 432 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. Well, i Adam and I'm the miscellaneous programmer. I'm Sam and I'm the artiste. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today's September 8th, 20 Jubilee. that's the spooky one? It's the race yeah. of September. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, it's going to get cold mm-hmm. yeah. at some point, probably. Not right. I, I, apparently, it's one million de- degrees in many places, including the U.S. Open, where the players are turning into liquid puddles on the on the tennis mm-hmm. court. Apparently. So mm. stay cool, everybody. Stay cool. Uh, anyways, there's also there's going to be profanity in this show, and we'd like to thank our recurring supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. Thank you very much for your monthly donations. Okay, let's get into it. What happened this week? First off, we played Baldur's Gate three multiplayer mm-hmm. over the over the long weekend. Well, just we only really it for a, a couple of hours. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thoughts, Adam? Now this was Adam's first time playing it ever. Mm -hmm. And then Sam and I had already played it a shitload Mm -hmm. me a slightly larger shitload. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. Assuming shitloads have variable sizes and and it's not a standard unit of measurement. I, am not, I'm not clear on that, but that's okay. Uh, so first off, I guess, Adam, I want to know your take coming into it. Totally fresh.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So, so I think this is, this has some parallels also with Diablo multiplayer for, for my game playing experience. Um, in that I think there's such a fundamental difference between playing with people, you know, and Mm -hmm. and not, and how that interplays with the game design is is really interesting. So the struggle that I've always had in, in, like, the newer Diablo games is that it's kind of the sheer amount of, like, inventory stuff to look at, which is different from the inventory management problem, which I've talked about repeatedly how much I hate that. But it's actually just... I I want to, like, spend the time to look through all of the things, understand what's happening, right? But when I'm there with a group, the group... keep up. I got to keep up with the group, right? And I find for me, like, I actually kind of... I just need, like, a slow, plotting kind of gameplay experience when there's a lot of stuff like that to to keep track of. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so my gameplay style tends to run into the, like... Well, just like not even worry about any of this stuff, and just like make sure just I go with stay the with the group, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so, which which for like the newer for both Diablo three and four, um, when I would try to play with my wife, like because she's a, she's like just can she can just understand what's happening way better than I can. Like she's at a, gamer. a glance, you know, she's a, she's much more of a gamer than I am. Uh, it is just better at processing visual information. Like my my I'm just not good at that. I've got various deficiencies. Lower on the uptake. Yeah, I just like I can't process visual information that well. So inevitably what always happens is like she's really into it and just like is blazing ahead. I'm kind of struggling to keep up. And then eventually I'm just like, I don't even like this anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, oh. and so so the multiplayer in Baldur's Gate. Had kind of a similar vibe, but for a different reason, which was less about like inventory management and like that kind of thing. It was more like, because the story can proceed without, or, or I guess the stories can proceed in completely in my apps. Like I have no idea necessarily what's going on. Right. So, so, cause we we're also playing with my wife who's all four of us. Everybody has played a bunch except for me. So they already knew who the characters were, you know, and like kind of the overarching, like what's going on, knew who to talk to, kind of like to get a, a better gameplay experience, knew who to just kind of in one case just murder immediately, where to go, you know. Who <laughs> to kill to, and who not to yeah, kill. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and I don't know why any of that stuff has happened, right? So so when I when I when we first started, I was trying to like understand what was going on and trying to understand like the game mechanics and like what all the things do. But it was the same kind of as like playing Diablo where I I
2: Yeah, keep up.
1: I got to keep up. And so I, I didn't even want to spend time like hovering over my little icons and figure out what the fuck the game controls are, you know? Uh, and, and so I had to kind of quickly get into that mindset of like, okay, I'm just like, I'm just trying to kind of, I have to not care basically about the details so that I can just participate in the group social experience. Right. And so, mm-hmm. so it very quickly became like, it just wasn't about the game and it, and it had to not be about the game. Um, for me to be able to play so it was kind of just an interesting dynamic that for me repeats a lot because of my 2 part. one i'm usually also last to pick up a game because i just don't play games that much mm-hmm. um so i always have less context in a multiplayer setting and less practice but also i'm just i'm just bad at visual processing and so i'm just like slow it's just right? need a
0: yeah, well, this is kind of the, the weird thing about multiplayer in a story game like this. And this was actually like a huge part of our conversation back when mm-hmm. we were trying to figure out how to make Crashlands 2 a multiplayer game at the very start of development. We were talking through all the design implications of how do you take a, a narrative where you've got linear sequences of events where one thing leads to another uh, and and have players – that can dip in and dip out of that experience at unpredictable times, um, including, for example, those players having inventories that have specific special items in them that are important Mm -hmm. for the story. Or whatever. Like, if those players can kind of disappear off the face of the earth at random, h- how do you do it? And also, just stuff like, you know, if if Sam is over in continent A and I'm in continent B, but we're playing co-op and we're supposed to be progressing the story together, and he starts talking to a character, uh, how how would I know what's going on in the story mm-hmm. over there, right? Would we pause my game and teleport my camera all of a sudden, even though I might be like in the middle of a combat encounter? Mm-hmm. <laughs> do we, you know? And so, do we just have Baldur's a Gate,
1: journal? You know, like what? Yeah, what?
0: Yeah. So what we happens. never found a solution to that, and neither did Baldur's Gate actually. No, really? Uh, yeah, I think said, there uh, isn't. There, there just, isn't. Yeah. yeah, they just so, they just said
2: you know the experience is a fundamentally different one in a multiplayer. It's just different a different context. game. Yeah, and so they basically made it so that. Everything can just happen for any one person and it doesn't have to happen for everybody, right? Which is, is really neat in a few particular ways. Um, just in terms of like, you don't, if you want to go talk to someone, you don't have to like wait for a conversation to finish. You know, you could just go talk to some, you just go do your thing. You're not, no one is seeing the same stuff at all times. Um, and so there's, I guess it, it allows you to do a lot on a like per person basis, but I think. To Adam's point, I felt this too. I spent most of my time just walking around as a badger, being a goofball and like just sort of jumping around because I didn't want to, I didn't actually want to
0: move stuff forward uh, because. Yeah, L- largely I wanted, I wanted Adam to be the one moving things forward yes. because, because if because he had seen he it. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also like if somebody, and, and so in Baldur's Gate, there's like a couple of kind of weird things that come from transitioning from single player to, to multiplayer. For me, kind of the big one is like, if you're playing single player, then it is an extremely methodical and well-paced experience because you yourself can do anything you want whenever you want to do it. And you can wait if you need to wait, right? So it's even the case where like, if you hit escape in the game, it doesn't pause, like your characters, like things are still happening because it doesn't need to pause because, because it's turn-based in in, in general, it's turn-based and, and there's like a few scenarios maybe where there's like a character that patrols around or something. And if they get too close to you, you'll enter into combat, but those are a bit more rare. It's more that like you have to interact with stuff. uh, And then if you do get into a dangerous situation, it's a turn-based thing. And you have all the time in the world, every turn to look at all the hundreds Mm -hmm. of spells you have and all the items you have and, Um, And also up to that point, you yourself will have picked up every single item. And so you will have looked at all the tool tips and you know all the stuff you have, right? Well, in multiplayer, you got four people independently running around, picking shit up, talking to people. They might be talking There were a bunch. Of, I kept trying to keep the group together and I kept being like, all right, guys, we're getting split up. We're getting mm-hmm. split up. Okay, let's get together, right? Because if, for example, somebody accidentally triggers a combat encounter in multiplayer and then the rest of the party is, you know, hundreds of yards away off in the middle of a. Forest or something. Mm-hmm. Then you got one person just getting absolutely wrecked in combat, while everybody else or is just in, running around. Or in our case,
1: if one of your players is a badger who weighs a lot and then falls through a floor,
0: yeah, no, 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 and then, then
1: has yeah. an has an encounter then with five enemies <laughs> underneath the floor yeah. while everybody else is up topping, like what?
0: <laughs> yeah. Which so was like hilarious. I've, I mean, that was, that yeah, was it was guy. hilarious. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, so like I've I've read in the in the Baldur's Gate community, um, you know, I've read a a philosophy in there, which I think I'm starting to think is like pretty true where they're like mm. the real, the real playthrough of this game is the second playthrough. Because the first playthrough, there are so many things, at so many places, and so many characters, and items, and mechanics, and spells, and you know whatever. It's, it's just too much. You know, it's so much that like, but you like you can beat the game, of course, in in your first playthrough. But you will have done so many weird and dumb things along the way, or missed so many things because you're learning the whole time for like a hundred hours. I mean, I right? think
1: it's like D and D in general, right? It's like when you it sit is. down to your for your first d and d campaign and like and you know, and and people who who GM does like talk about the struggle of like nobody knows anything they take so long like you know combat scenarios. Yeah, it take people like so flip through long their, right because everyone's trying they to figure don't out, know like, how
0: spell slots work yeah. or like uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah
1: it's just there's there's enough complexity uh and and not just complexity but also just like just details, right? That aren't even about yep. complexity. It's just stuff that if you you can't you can know it, it until it, you know it. Difference. But yeah, yeah, but once you know it, then it makes a huge difference in the whole experience. And, and since Baldur's Gate is just that. It's just D&D. It's, it's just, just d for yeah. It. yeah. Then, yeah, it just takes a lot of exposure to... I think the cool thing about it is that unlike in a tabletop, D, where you have to figure that stuff out by either having like the gm or your the or, your, or, the, or the, the table or... help you right or you have to yeah. like painstakingly read through a handbook and try to understand it in context which is what you know i did when i the last time i tried to play D and and it's not very interesting to read i mean anyone who's well and there's
0: no feedback right so like exactly in, for example one of the things that i i never understood playing DD was the concept of spell slots yes yeah right and like and, and also, I I was I've whenever I play D I just play basic characters like a monk or something it's that just doesn't actually use yep. spells. I'm yep. like, yeah, there I don't have to worry about it. Um, and seeing the feedback of the UI in Baldur's Gate and like what happens when you click on a spell, and like, do you want to upcast this? And I'm like, fuck yeah, I do. And then when, and it's like upcasting this means it'll use a higher level spell slot, but you can cast it on multiple targets now, or it'll do more damage now, right? So the tooltip changes as you upcast, Mm -hmm. but like if you're trying to do that on a tabletop, you have to already know in advance all the details about what it means to upcast something, how that spell works, and you have to keep track on a piece of paper how many spell slots you have, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, there's no feedback. And Mm so if you don't know it, you literally just can't do it. But in Baldur's Gate, you can just you try it. to do a thing, and the UI is like, "Yeah, you can't do that." Or here's what will happen when you do that, mm-hmm. right? And so, yeah, I definitely finally um,
2: understand things about Dungeons and Dragons that I never had never gotten to a point, even after playing. And we played for like six months, I think every every other weekend or something like that.
0: Yeah, well, because mm-hmm. the only way there's like like I was saying, there's there's two ways to do it. One is to just play enough D D with enough people that you sort of accrue. You know, that Understand, knowledge over yeah, yeah. time. Yeah, or it's a or, hobby, or you so just you're like
1: watching your I think they call them real critical. Place, role. let's play as yeah, you're like yeah. roll or to bet of twenty yeah. or any of the infinite resources out there for yeah. for D. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like
0: option one is exposure and option two is research, which is just like read the player's handbook mm-hmm. front to back multiple times and try to memorize everything, which again is like that's a that's a huge onboarding yeah. problem. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting though about this is that um You know, I was thinking as we
2: headed into it, because because Baldur's Gate had multiplayer that it would, that like experientially that it would that they somehow would have solved what I think is the core problem that we talk about in this context, which is essentially how do you keep everybody narratively and contextually on the same plane, right, in a narrative-driven game? Mm -hmm. And it was very funny to me to realize that their answer was simply, you don't, and then uh, they just let you not, Well, and I think
1: it is similar to – and I think the reason that they can do that is because – because the the D&D model already kind of takes all of this into account, right? Which is like when you're playing D- tabletop D&D, then the party can split, right? The party yep. can go off and do different things. The because everyone's at the same table though. But that's not even always true, right? Cuz especially these days like people will split over discord right and mm-hmm. like separately talk to the rooms. to the gm yeah about like about what they're up to so that they keep it secret and then people choose like right. what they actually disclose and
2: stuff right that's right there's a lot of hidden knowledge basically gained throughout D D as part of the yeah and
1: it's market. basically because the world like managed by the gm right isn't this autonomous thing that like can be interacted with by anybody on the party and there's not actually the idea of like there isn't an idea of a main player character right yeah. Right. Yeah, And I think the way that they solve the, – the aspects of that that don't work in a video game, I think they still solved the way that they had to, which is, which is one of the things that we were debating back when we were thinking about Crash 2 Multiplayer, right? Was how do players drop in and out? Like what is you what know. does that part look like? And the way that they solved it is as my understanding goes, is like they have, you already have a four person party in the game as a single player experience, right? Where the mm-hmm. other, the members of your party are NPCs. Mm-hmm. And then they just said, okay, well, let's just replace each of those NPCs mm-hmm. with, a per- with a person, with a, with a player character. And, but that means that you can't – but th- those characters are in the game world though, right? It's not its they're not a, part of the
0: story. Yeah, they're part they're of the story.
1: Portable. They're yeah. not portable. So if they have stuff on them that you need in the same way that if your NPCs do, you just reach in their inventory and take it if they're not there, right? Mm-hmm. And if – Yeah, and
0: I think I think it's that like the player characters will, will become NPCs that you can just keep in your party and do stuff with even when that person is not there. Or you can just have them wait in your camp. But either way, like that – that character is now just part of your game world. Yeah. Right. Yes. Whether that person is playing it or, or not, right. which is a cool, I mean, it's a good solve for that. Yeah. Drop in and out problem.
1: Yeah. You know? And it's like, if we, if we would have done that, because in Crescence two, we were, we were envisioning, we were trying to think about how to like solve these problems. We were like, well, ideally though, you know, anybody could just pop in to your world and just kind of join you for a bit. Right. Mm-hmm. And well, that is like, that's true, ideally from like a player perspective, that was so fundamentally incompatible with like making that a game that could mm-hmm. that the design would would support that, that the end result was just like, nope, that's just not
0: <laughs> that's just not fundamentally yep. possible, right? Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways I was thinking about this in the same vein as like uh destructible terrain in a weird way, which is like mm-hmm. Or or like even destructible buildings, right? Like every now and then a game comes along and they advertise like this idea of destructible terrain, destructible like destru- you could blow up and Blow through everything in the environment, right? Which is cool, but if you look, for example, at the the map of Baldur's Gate, like it's very strategically and specifically composed to Mm -hmm. guide you through things in certain ways or block access in certain ways. And as soon as you can, for example, just like destroy shit, and like if there's a wall in your way, you can just mow it down and go right through, right? Well, then suddenly you you. You can't really do that in a narrative context, right? Right. So you you can either have a pre made story or destructible terrain, but not necessarily both. And I feel like it like we kind of landed on that with multiplayer and storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, like there are ways there are ways to combine them. And yeah, it's not perfect, right? Because because of the problems of like. Multiple people going in different directions, talking to different NPCs, having different conversations, advancing the story in ways that the other people aren't aware of, right? Like, there's all that kind of stuff. Um, But I feel like they did about as good of a job with it as could be done. Yeah. You know? like I think, was there a Uh, shared
1: journal or something? uh, I didn't actually see
2: that part of the UI. I believe the journal is completely shared.
1: Yeah, yeah, because I think if you have a shared – if you have a mechanism to share inventory when people are offline –
2: and if you have a mechanism to share, see the status share of the journal quests, basically, as yeah, the status of
1: quests. Right.
2: You basically get caught up on like, oh, what's this? I don't even know what this yeah. is, but I guess that's a thing I got to go do by reading yeah. this little bit of text. You know, yeah, yeah, exactly.
1: So I think that's the way that it just kind of has to, just has to work that way for a yeah. A narrative now, game.
2: there's a oh, good. Well, I it? The, the main other consideration for us was it was basically the question at the heart of it was what is what is Crashlands, right? Because mm-hmm. because it's very easy to think about the multiplayer design for a kind of like a crafting sandbox game, right? There's, there's a bajillion of those. There's a lot of ways to slice there's
0: that. Multiplayer in that game is just add more people yeah
2: it's just not particularly up. complicated in terms of from yeah. the design <laughs> standpoint and the and the repercussions there right um but at it's at the heart of it i think is what we came down to is like if we you know before we had the narrative systems in questions 2 for example it was it had more slapstick in it than the original did and certainly far more humor just like embodied humor basically in the game world through the, the goofy creatures or whatever else than other you know what we consider crafting or survival game but it didn't feel crashlands until you get some jokes in there, until there's humorous text and humorous characters and weird shit going on, right? And so mm-hmm. it, that was the big, like, the really big hang-up for us was like, okay, it, how do you... And I think this is still my question, which is rather than saying, okay, like Boulder's Gate, if you made a, say, Crashlands 3 in the same vein as 1 and 2, just big narrative stuff, whatever, uh, how do you put multiplayer in there in a way that's just like sort of good kind of a different question is like how do you how would you translate the core of the RPG experience in something like Crashlands that has the humor and has the narrative how would you actually translate it to work better and enable better multiplayer like just sessions right like how how would you
0: think dude I've been thinking I've been thinking about this so much Because like something something that that makes it sort of obvious in Baldur's Gate is like you're saying it's a f- it's a si- even as a single player game it's a multiplayer game yes. right because when you're you play as single party. player you have a party of four mm-hmm. and so it's already set up in advance to fairly easily allow not easily but like to to have swapping in and out of party members which could then become players right, right? it's already also balanced around that right
1: mm-hmm. because exactly forward, you right, okay. you pick up your your companions, like, at really early on, but also at particular times of the story, but also they all start at a low level, right? They're already kind of balanced um, in terms of their capabilities and stuff, right? So that they are doing different kinds of stuff. And then you get to choose as you go, like, how to level them up, how to equip them, all of that kind of mm-hmm. stuff, right? And then all of the combat experiences are kind of designed around the idea that, like, you got four people. you've got four people, you've got a party, right? Yep. and and that's why it works so and i don't want to say seamlessly but i think it but it, it does actually work really well like as a it's as a little a, more congruent i think yeah than,
2: yeah
0: i think it's more yeah congruent. well and the fact that pacing wise so if you think about like uh crash crashlands, especially crashlands 2 is a real-time combat like a real-time action uh rpg right so it's not turn-based and when you're fighting things in combat you've got to be like doing stuff in real time and reacting and hitting buttons in response and dodging things right it's not about like a a dice roll based on stats as to whether you take damage or not right and so so the other kind of issue there is is those kinds of combat encounters once you add more people become fairly trivial right because Mm -hmm. like if you if the game is set up where it's like, all right, you're gonna like go out in the world and you're gonna like fight you It'll know one or two of stuff. these creatures, blah blah blah. Well, what if you got four people with you? How do how do you not just become like a murdering? Well, that's why in so many, squad, many multiplayer
1: know? games or games that allow multiplayer, I guess, uh, they just scale up the hit points
2: mm-hmm.
1: on the thing, right? Uh, or the damage it deals or whatever, or both, right? And so they just try to scale up sort of uh these these fairly one-dimensional uh just metrics yeah metrics uh, of difficulty right right. right. um so that when you then go encounter with a group that it can be managed but but it's like but unless the thing was designed for a group kind of experience in the first because i think like this difference is like it's like world of warcraft dungeons right which it's like that's designed for a group of people and and a lot of the way that they manage that is that they have like positioning right and like Mm Regions where a thing is going to happen and that kind of stuff, right? Because that's that way that you can make it so that it's designed around the fact that there's more than one. Yeah, you
0: need entities, number people. Yeah, you know. And and yeah, but even even in that game, they suffer from that from the 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 single player versus multiplayer problem because like out in the open world, uh, it's it's single player content. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. And the general consensus among pretty much everybody in the community is, wow, this open world content is boring as fuck. Right, like mm-hmm. no matter what they do out in the open world, it's supposed to be stuff that's soloable. Uh yeah, by you shouldn't any need one to... of
2: these classes who might have any yeah. access to any yeah. one of these skills. So it's yeah, yeah. for the really... most part. Yeah,
0: yeah, and they're like they're, every now and then there might be some kind of like area that's designed for groups, um, but by and large it's just like solo stuff. And this is this is within the same game, right? And so like
1: yeah, but this thing is you can't uh, take a thing that's designed because like that means you have an enemy, say like a wolf, right? That can do a bite. Once every X yeah, seconds right. or whatever, right? Like that's, yeah. that's, its that's its whole thing. And so yeah. <laughs> one-on-one like, okay, well, it's going to bite, it's going to bite you, right? Every chance it gets. And you can then, you can then, you can then balance the parameters around that. Right. Mm-hmm. But if it's that wolf versus four people,
0: well, okay the wolf is dead in 1.3 but seconds but also but it can only yeah. bite it can still only bite <laughs> one deformity. person right so like it can yep.
1: it can really only meaningfully like then go after one person everybody else is then just going to deal damage to it it's a completely different kind of encounter and different kind of experience because it's it doesn't it it doesn't meaningfully scale past one on one right yeah. at, at yeah. all and, and like any any time you have like in any kind of combat experience that's based on that. I think this is why, like, again, like those, like, World of Warcraft dungeons are good because, like, there's a reason that so much magic is happening because you can use magic to attack multiple people at once without having to explain anything, right? And it scales really well, right? Because you just, like, whatever, it's just, like, three-quarters of the area is on fire or whatever, right? But if you're having like melee combat or anything like they just they just don't scale. And I think that's again that's the advantage that I think Baldur's Gate has for this is that they already designed every part of the experience Mm -hmm. around having a party of four. Yeah. Right. Uh, And kind of optionally because like you don't necessarily have to have everybody that kind of stuff, right? But it's still all designed around that that expectation. And so even when like most individual parts of an encounter are one-on-one and encounter those against a group right and mm-hmm. it's all about like positioning to create several yeah. one-on-one or or similar kinds of scale encounters right so that you can scale the whole thing based on just how you design an overarching encounter with multiple enemies versus like a standard yeah. crafting game where it's the normal experience
2: is one-on-one that's actually what it is mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. uh yeah I, I almost think you'd have to go with like a almost like a lobby-based or not even like a lobby-based like that roughly that equivalent thing to be able to integrate these really challenging design parameters together so think about like uh you know how, how like hades merges the narrative narrative complexity with like a roguelike right uh mm-hmm. the way they're able to do that is by having that home base that's essentially this pocket where there's characters doing stuff right and they're able to very easily control and drip feed stuff out through that context i feel like you you could theoretically find some kind of loop that was everybody kind of in a place and then you choose to go out on a like gathering mission or a quest thing and then it's like so you almost have like more of a mission structure attached to it but you wouldn't have yeah. like an open world
0: it's, i mean it's feel. essentially it's the it's the idea of like a wow dungeon right like yeah you that's you I mean. you do stuff solo in the game and then when it then there are multiplayer things in the game and then you like get together with your friends and go do that thing but it's not the whole game that is right. intended to be a multiplayer experience right so right. um yeah but it was i mean my recommendation i think if anybody's looking to to pick up baldur's gate three and try and multiplayer stuff. I th- I think it's worth it to just do your own playthrough first. Yes. I think you actually should because I think to Adam's point, there's too learn much the pressure game. otherwise, to um, yeah, yeah, so.
1: or or play with a group of complete noobs right because that way you can help each other figure out what's going on and all that kind of stuff without um somebody just already knowing because i think that's that asymmetry is what creates them yeah but,
0: you know, like but it's, it is it's still it, fun
1: right but it, it is a different kind of a gameplay experience if you're if you're the one who doesn't know anything right and everybody else knows what but i you're think doing. the
0: problem is Even if you got all four people who don't know anything coming in because of the fact that things can happen without your knowledge, like people picking up items or people having conversations or whatever, unless you're really paying attention, which is – you can only really do if you already are familiar with the game, right? Uh, Because then you don't even know what to
1: pay attention to otherwise.
0: Yeah. Then I I do think that a full multiplayer playthrough and the first go might be – I might be okay with like two people because like that's – you can coordinate yeah, yeah. with that one person. or right? no, I wouldn't it, do four. Four, it's know. just like it's a herding cats problem. Yep. Like people, mm-hmm. are just, people are just off doing their own shit all over the place, mm-hmm. right? And if you're not really focused on what's happening, then you'll just miss. Well, see, yeah, I mean it's even
1: something right? as simple as just like what should happen with loot, right? Like mm-hmm. I couldn't even have
0: an opinion on because I didn't know like – Enough time to read all the tool tips and be like, what even are these? Yeah, things? like, well, how many or kinds how of they, loot? <laughs> are? like, everyone's
1: supposed to be like, does anybody need a like a short bow? And I'd be like,
0: well, I already have what? one. Is there, <laughs> only, it, yeah. is
1: there only one kind of short bow? I have no idea, right? Yes. How does loot even work? I yeah, yeah is the answer just... <laughs> obviously yes or obviously no? Or is there subtlety here that I have to kind of work out? Like, I have no idea, you know,
0: but we need a long bow or like a, a venti bow or a grande bow. Yeah. How I don't how does know. Does this all yeah. work? How does it work? Yeah, so. It it was it was interesting. I was yeah. I was curious to hear your thoughts Adam, about that of like totally first, totally blind first playthrough. But yeah, uh, maybe maybe someday uh, you'll you'll play through some of the campaign, and then we can do yeah, a new through as a group. And yeah,
1: yeah and, I, and, and again, like, I still had fun. It's just a different kind of experience than like yeah, it's very
0: different. Truly getting to just get into the game, you know. Um, it's sort of a what the fuck is happening everything is on fire kind of fun as opposed to yeah. the strategic decision making fun of yep. the single player mode. <laughs> yeah,
1: you know, and I think there's uh, like as a if you just want to like hang out with some with some buddies and like have some cocktails and just like have a hilarious good time, even if yeah, there's asymmetry be, in that so group, or if everybody knows yeah. what they're doing, or nobody knows what they're doing. Like if you come into it just being like, "We're going into chaos. We're not going to yeah. know what's happening." But there's the, no plan here. There's no plan, <laughs> but, but the moment-to-moment interactions are going to be like fun and interesting, right? Yeah, then, that's definitely good for that. Yeah, it'll definitely be good for
0: that. Yeah, and I will uh, just as a uh, just to kind of cap off this convo, I do want to briefly tell the story of what happened with Sam's <laughs> owl bear. So, so here, right, here's the deal. So like we're saying, when you're talking to somebody in conversation, normally in single player in Baldur's Gate, you're in a, a cutscene, mm-hmm. and your party members do not do anything during that. Mm-hmm. They're just waiting for you to finish the conversation, right? And sometimes they're part of the conversation. Uh, well, in multiplayer, it's not like that. People can optionally listen into your conversation and watch the cutscene, scene or just they can just keep doing, doing whatever they're doing. So, but it's actually you can tell uh, like,
1: it's, it is neat like, te- like, from a tech standpoint. And again, they made a whole bunch of decisions that made all of this work. And I don't know how much of that was the initial design, and they got lucky, or if it was all designed for multiplayer from the start. But but it all of the cutscenes take place in the game world, right, yes. with like the in-game camera and all that kind of stuff, right? So that so that it can accommodate all the kinds of variations and things that can happen, but that also includes the fact that there could be other real human player characters wandering
0: doing around. Wandering around. So yeah, <laughs> you actually
1: see them in the back of the shot, which is, hilarious. Which is <laughs> hilarious. Just
0: walking around. Yeah. So so we go into we get into these and this I'm not going to consider this a spoiler because this is like in the first 15 minutes of the oh, game. game. Okay. So so we get into these uh these ruins and there's these looters in there. And it's like a You know, ruin like a like a temple temple or something. Yeah, Um, yeah, so there's like all kinds of broken shit and like boards and rocks everywhere and stuff. And um, and so we get into these ruins and there's these looters in there and they're immediately uh, antagonistic because they think that we're coming after the same loot that they are coming after, right? So I'm like, no problem. Like I'm in here talking to this person. I'm like, yeah, I'll just kind of talk talk my way out of this so we don't have to fight these guys. Uh, So having this conversation. Meanwhile, Sam is transformed into a, bear. An, a, a bear or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he and I just see him kind of wandering around. I'm just and slinking around in the background. In the background, yeah. he's in he's in sneak mode. And I maybe he's thinking, like, I'm gonna get set up, I'm gonna position myself so that when this combat encounter starts, I'm ready to maul some people. Right. Well, turns out <laughs> there's a, a patch of floor that's made of like cracked boards that if something heavy enough Goes on to it, something it will like break, a bear, which I didn't, I didn't know because like I had walked over that ground many times uh, in this playthrough and prior playthroughs. I didn't know that there was a weight limit on those boards, I mean, yeah. but there is. <laughs> so we're a mi- mid conversation talking to this guy, and suddenly I hear just like this explosion of shattering wood, and Sam just yells like "What the fuck!" and then and
2: bear all falls of a sudden, the
0: floor. <laughs> Sam is g- Sam is gone. He falls through the floor as a bear lands. Takes some fall damage and is like knocked, he's like prone mm-hmm. down below. The people upstairs that we're talking to suddenly get startled by this. It's possible that one of them, Sam took one of them with him through the floor. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. But either I'd way, like yeah. Yeah. it was interpreted as, as a hostile a, action. <laughs> That's fair. You know, so fair. so Adam and Jenny <laughs> and I are upstairs now trying to fight these guys and Sam is downstairs fighting more people as a bear and Sam's screaming like, guys, you got to get down here to help me. And we're like, we literally can't like we're being attacked up here. So eventually we had to just kind of let Sam get, get killed so we could clean up upstairs. And then we jumped down the hole and used a scroll of revivify on him to get him back up. And then we fought the guys downstairs. Right. But it's just like, just that amount of, you don't really have to fully know what's going on to appreciate just how fucking dumb it was. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> that kind of a thing. Funny, yeah. <laughs> yeah the, the, the degree to which the
1: game accommodates what the players are doing. i um, was shocking. to make it interesting is, and especially, you know, in combination with the fact that it's, it's a heavy story driven game, right? Like you're, mm-hmm. It's designed to have certain kinds of – and like every part of the design like has a large set of outcomes they've actually pre-sorted sort of out for you, right? But they're still responsive just kind of in general to stuff that happens in the world. And it all just kind of works,
0: which is Mm -hmm. – it's a remarkable feat. And even when things don't work, they often don't work in ways that are still consequential and kind of hilarious, you know? So like –
1: well, yeah. and the game and, lets you, like, you're allowed to just make it so that the game is impossible to beat, right? Like, you can kill off things that you're, people are not supposed to, right? And, like, all mm-hmm. that kind of
0: stuff. Yeah. I think that's part you of it, too. You could technically there's, there's, kill all the companions. Like, you could go through a game and never have a party because you've killed every person who wanted to party. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you'll you have a really, really hard time. Um, and I've even seen a lot of people who are actually kind of upset because because people talk about the idea of doing an evil playthrough. Where they're like, I'm going to make all the decisions that like harms the most people, right? Um, but then they're like, this game doesn't properly support an evil playthrough because I keep ending up with no companions, right? And I'm like, That's no, costly. it seems like it is supporting it, right? Because mm-hmm. like yeah, you, 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 the only solution would be to have an entire suite of pure evil companions who are available to, for you to recruit who, who won't leave you. Or get upset or whatever that's when you're horrific. like genociding and doing mm-hmm. all kinds of horrible stuff, right? But but it's also just stuff like so many of the choices that you can make will result in villages being destroyed or whatever. Mm-hmm. And like all of the characters in there are gone now. And those characters may have had important things to do later in the game. Yeah, and just you just can't now. do those yep. things, right? And it's like, yeah, that is the consequence of being a piece of shit, right? Like yep. it seems like the game is doing – it's correct, is doing what actually. it promises well, which i think, is like, I think hey, they did the interesting actions have thing. consequences <laughs> yeah
1: well is they is they made it so that so that stuff is really dynamic in terms of how it handles how every part of the game handles context right so like it can take into account lots of stuff and then they just make it so that you're allowed to violate their intended pathways right because the game is dynamic enough that it responds in some way to that, whatever it is. Right. Um, but it just becomes your fault. You know, like it's what, yeah, it's you, just like you're saying you like, that. yeah, you shouldn't have, it was kind of like yeah, yesterday I was laughing cause I, this is a little bit of a tangent, but I was, I was working on, I was working on my stitch for VS code thing, game maker editing and in, in VS code. And I was trying to figure out why I was trying to open this project, this test project I was working on. And it just like was giving me just weird fucking behavior. And I just couldn't figure it out what was going on. And I realized it was because I just had two projects with the same name. And it was something I hadn't accounted for in the logic, right? So that there was this basically just every time requests were coming through, it was like randomly being routed to one project or the other one kind of a thing. It was just very weird behavior. And for a second, I was like, oh, I guess I need to fix this until I came up to the next conclusion, which was, no, I just shouldn't have no, I, done that. I just shouldn't yeah, have opened yeah. <laughs> two projects with the same name. And I think this is that same kind of a deal where they were just like, you're allowed to do whatever, right? But, but there's you know. things you shouldn't do, though. And I think the, the cool thing about the design of the game is that is that they just let you ruin the game for yourself, right? They just let mm-hmm. you do that mm-hmm. while simultaneously making it so that when you've done that, it's obviously your fault, right? But also the way that the game gets ruined is not that the gameplay experience somehow breaks. Like characters aren't saying weird random stuff or whatever, right? It's that just things that you needed to happen can't happen and so they don't, right? Or or characters don't have the appropriate triggers to go through the line of things, but the characters still there, they still do other stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. They just don't do the stuff that you would have actually needed them to do. So I think it's just a, it's a really interesting way that they've paired all of these design ideas together to make it so you can have this dynamic of a multiplayerable or single-playerable experience, right? Um, all that still allows for that degree of like flexibility is just again. It's crazy. It's a very impressive technical
0: oh, yeah. achievement. It, it's, well, it's, I guess it's actually designed technical. It's, it's, it's a yeah. design achievement. That's that's
1: actually really impressive. Yeah. For real.
0: But it's gotta be technical as well, because even thinking about like I think just at the end of the day yesterday, Sam and I were talking about this little like quest sort of chain um in the game where that comes it comes in act one, but then uh, In Baldur's Gate so or I'm, Crashlands? In in Baldur's Gate and okay. Baldur's Gate three. Um and like my, in my first playthrough a, uh, like a set of things that happened during this encounter where this this uh sort of evil character teleported away as I was about to defeat defeater um and then in act three that character reappeared with a whole different story and like a whole different quest like some other bullshit they had gotten up to in the meantime and now I was supposed to try to stop them again right um and then in my second playthrough I managed to find a way to actually kill this character uh, in a way that prevented her from teleporting out at the beginning or like teleporting away during the combat encounter. And now I'm like, what's well, going to happen now? Mm-hmm. Like, cause, cause I, what I don't know is like, I, I basically I shoved her down a hole, right? mm-hmm. <laughs> which is a great way to kill lots of things in Baldur's Gate. You mess. just push people off of things. And I'm thinking like, did she die though? Like, <laughs> yeah, who knows? Is she, is she still going to be there in, in act three or is she? Cause like there, there's plenty of people uh, uh who, who I, I, Thought were going to be in Act Three, but ended up not being because of some decisions that I made earlier mm-hmm. that I found out later. Oh yeah, whoops! I fucked that up, and this person never showed up again, right? And so I assume it's going to work the other way. We're like, I defeated this person when normally they would escape, so now there's a quest chain later that I'm never going to actually get to do. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, actions have consequences uh, in a pretty spectacular way, yeah, honestly. That's great. So, uh, all right, you guys want to get to one or two questions? Yeah. Sure. All right, these questions come from our listeners over at podcast.biscosh.net. Highest up-footed question comes from Galaxy, who says, Hey, bros, given that you all have largely taught yourselves the skills needed to run a game studio, what are your thoughts on the costs and benefits of a college education versus learning on your own? Any useful college-related whiz nugs? I'm starting the second year of my comp sci degree in a couple weeks. Mm, We have hit... Questions like
1: this over the years, so I don't know if our answers hold up, but it might be worth also perusing the archives and seeing if you can get some more answers yeah. out of there. Um, but I, I think in general we've kind of all landed in the same place, which is college has a purpose, and we're all glad we did it. And there are certain things that I, I know for myself that there are certain things that I got out of it that uh, you know like I couldn't have gotten any other way. Um, but it set me on the path that i needed and there were there were a lot of things that, that i really learned all of that said um college wasn't really what taught me how to do anything um college teaches you
0: about things
1: well it, but it not depends what well, things it depends on the courses and it depends it depends on the the degree program and there like so much of it depends right and i think the problem is that so much of college is an extension of like your early education where, like you're saying, Seth, like they're teaching you about stuff.
0: Um, they're teaching
1: you about physics or about yeah business. Yeah,
0: but, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you can do those things. Yeah, well, and, yeah. Because <laughs> and,
1: and it's it's largely kind of theoretical. And even when it's not, it's very prescriptive, right? It's just like, oh, this, this is how this is how this works you know like anytime I've heard a, a fresh out of college person talking about anything it's just so fucking prescriptive <laughs> it's just like yeah this is how it works one two, two three, three four framework. five
0: you yep. know Yeah.
1: and and the reality is is like is, is just like definitions of words you need to treat them descriptively and not prescriptively meaning like people are trying to summarize things like a definition of a word is not what the word means it's a summary of the people who wrote the a dictionary's understanding of how people use that word, right? And similarly, when you go to college and you learn about like these frameworks for how to understand stuff and like what the rules are, and like how these things work, those aren't actually how they work, those aren't prescriptive, those are descriptive of like our current understanding. Right, what
0: you're saying is the dictionary people don't decide what words mean, yeah,
1: they yes, describe they to... what it seems like people think words mean, right? And yes, right. and college is the same, like it's the same deal. I think the problem is that. Again, depending, depending on all the details of like your particular program and stuff. Cause it, for me, it was like, is I went to a challenging, a really challenging college had and took really challenging courses and stuff that I was interested in, uh, and it, and, and took it, but it wasn't until like my advanced courses in those things. Where this the distinction between prescriptive versus descriptive, and between like this is how it works versus like we actually don't know how it works, but here are the tools that we use to try to figure out how things work, right? Yeah, we
0: just told you that stuff earlier because you needed a foundation of
1: things. Yeah, it's useful. Yeah, well, because otherwise you can't can't even talk about it, right? Like. If, yeah. Yeah, if you if you don't know about the details of like, well, the components of a cell is sort of how we understand it. You can't talk about cell biology, right? You can't get into that next phase of like, how do we know this though? Like, what does this even, where does this actually come from? How do we figure this stuff out? And so for me, it wasn't until later college and then in particular grad school where like, where that distinction between prescriptive and descriptive became strong enough that I was actually truly getting utility out of like the education program. And it was because the ability to understand that made it so that the details of like what I was doing kind of became irrelevant. It didn't actually matter that I was like learning non-transferable skills, right? Like I got really good at pipetting tiny volumes of liquids, you know, like <laughs> – and designing th- designing how to manage a 364 well microplate so that I could put tiny numbers of cells in each one and have them grow at the same rate by carefully controlling temperatures right like mm-hmm. how many times do you think I've used that since, since then. <laughs> or or like I also got good at pulling ovaries out of fruit flies you know mm-hmm. um, again a niche skill how often you know? do I use that right but but I I got to still leave those experiences with 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 uh, deeper fundamental understanding of how to tackle problems. Right. And, and I think that's the kind of, to me, that's, that's kind of the issue with like what any kind of g- general purpose course based uh kind of knowledge trek is, mm-hmm. is that it can either treat you, it can either teach you how to think about stuff and how to like, how to solve problems in the general sense, or it can teach you about some problem. Right. Yeah. And, <laughs> and the quicker you can get into not the about the problem, but like how problems are solved, that's where you actually can get the real value out of things. Because otherwise, the fact is like the details The because prescriptive details are always wrong and they're always low on nuance and they're always outdated. Then if that's the kind of information you're trying to get, then it's you're going you to need Can't just you need to go to where that the most current versions of that are, which is not college. Right. Um, those are always behind, especially in comp sign and in, And programming all this kind of stuff, right?
0: Um, Yeah, you you can't just memorize ten thousand things and then be good to go. That's not like it. It's all about the problem solving skills. And and I think one of the advantages that college gives is is the ability to acquire a diversity of foundational knowledge about things.
1: Yeah, it gives. Um, I was yeah, I would say it gives you the opportunity opportunity to do that, but it doesn't make you do that, right? Because you still get to choose your path through. Choices have
0: consequences. Absolutely, (laughs) yes. Yes. So if you're doing an evil college, <laughs> you know, it's going to be yeah. a little different uh, yep. and you will you probably won't graduate because everybody's dead. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so I, I think for me, the stuff that really kind of helped me the most was, was the fact that I couldn't settle on a major and I just kept changing majors and like taking a whole bunch of different courses. Um, and now, you know, now I, I program all day uh, and I did, I did not do that in college. I was not a computer science student. Same, But but programming is a problem-solving tool, Mm -hmm. and what I learned from all the stuff I did in college was how to think about and work through big, complex problems and how to break them down, and that came from uh, doing case studies in in my finance courses and my economics courses. basically
1: modeling the real world, right, is what you were focusing on in these different disciplines, but it was modeling the real world, which is, as you're saying – what programming is right, or I guess yeah. a fake world because both economics and game programming, are both it's all just models. It's all yeah, just lies. Just it's fake. all just making yeah. up lies about the world. Yeah,
0: yeah. So I got really good at lying about the world and then pretending like a bunch of things that matter don't actually matter. You yeah. Know? yeah, but you got um, but you got good at
1: figuring out the consequences <laughs> of arbitrary rule sets, right? And so whether it's economics where we make up a whole bunch of You know, again, fake rules about principles about how the world works, and then see the outcome. And that's what we call economics, right? It's the same deal in making video games. Is you make a whole bunch of rules about like what the interactions are like, what happens when things do things, or whatever, right? And you figure out the consequences of that. And that skill set of like understanding and choosing prescriptive rules, right, and understanding their consequences. Like you can take that anywhere:
0: make games, write books do just do yep. whatever. Uh, I'll never forget one time uh when we were doing a game jam we were making Torso Demon Saga. Mm-hmm. Uh and Sam's buddy was with us mm-hmm. doing the jam Uncle and Cam. he's and he's a physics guy, right? He's a, he, well, he or engineer. He works on drones, so he's a, he's yeah. a yeah, he's a So I he's very, that, he is, he's a control very engineer. yeah, very deep knowledge in lots of domains of like material science and, and mathematics and physics and engineering right and in this game we had a mechanic where like you have two characters that are stuck together by a stretchy rope Mm -hmm. and as you walk apart from each other the rope tightens and at a certain point you can't pull the rope anymore right so you're kind of like tethered together and um, as we were talking through this he's like all right i'm gonna figure out this rope thing i'm gonna figure out the rope mechanics Mm -hmm. right and so he goes out and he starts do he starts researching like tensile strength of ropes and different kinds of materials and blah. Uh, blah physically blah. model it
2: you know yeah
0: and so he's off doing this for like three hours <laughs> and uh <laughs> meanwhile like that's the core mechanic of the game and and i had to get something yeah, in there, be in there yep. so that we could start working on the, the game and so i was like oh i'll just do this like i'll just do this formula and and it was a little bit weird, so I just divided it by two, and then <laughs> if, and then it felt great. Um, See, the idea of the magic so after,
1: number, right, which is like in yeah. programming where you have a number where the number itself doesn't mean anything. It just needs to be that number for everything it, yeah. to make sense. Yeah,
0: and it just works, you know, once you do that. And so, yeah, so after a while, he came back, and he's like, okay, here's what we're going to do with I'm like, yeah, don't worry about it. I just divided it by two, and then hey, we're me. good to go, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so we played it, and he's like, oh, yeah, that, wow. Wow. That was really unnecessary. Well, that's <laughs> stuff that I it! Right? Yeah. And it's like yeah. It's like one of one of the skills that I was able to to pick up, you know, through through college was that I was that idea of like not actually worrying about what's real, yeah, mm-hmm. and what and what and like how things actually work or how they sh- quote should work. And it's just like this: the game the should is that the game should be fun, mm-hmm. and it should exist. And so whatever gets us there the quickest, we just do that, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so those are the kinds of things that you can,
1: which is you know. unfortunately not to keep shitting on economics as a discipline, but that's unfortunately also how economics works, where it's not about whether it's right, you
0: know, no. it's about
1: whether it's it just feels good,
0: mm-hmm. you know. Man, I was, I saw this, I saw this article this week about the GDP gap between Europe and the US. Oh my
1: God, who cares? Because it's the GDP. Just- <laughs> it's the most one-dimensional, useless fucking metric.
0: Yeah. Well, in, in this article they were talking, it was like a doomsday <laughs> thing. About, I like, Oh my God. So like Europe, Europe's GDP is collapsing. Like, Europe is fuck. Meanwhile, meanwhile, US, the US has like, medic, we have a concept of medical bankruptcy. Like, we've got our life expectancy keeps going down yeah, year I mean, over year, right? We like have the all worst... This,
1: childbirth mortality rate, you know, mm-hmm. maternal, yeah, maternal it's like, mortality uh, rate.
0: Like, yeah. It's like, all right, what does GDP measure? It measures like how, how, much it measures money, how much money
1: rich people have. That's
0: what it How is. much money are we moving around? Yeah. That's the whole fucking thing. And so then, you know, at it, 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 no point in this article was there any kind of like, but does this matter? No, <laughs> that never, that never, that never came yeah. up, you know? Uh Yeah. So. Economics isn't real. It's all just—it's all just a bunch of made-up numbers. So, which happens to work very well for games. It does so. yeah? Turn out to be fun. So, I guess my my advice would be: go get a degree in economics. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's useful. Yeah. It's
1: and again, it's, it's the idea of like prescriptive versus descriptive right and, and trying to figure out how do you think about what it means to model a system and, and i think that that because that's what it really what's pro, a what problem solving is in general right? It's trying to figure out okay how do i actually describe the, and the description of a problem is a model right and it's always a simplified version of the real problem because there's no way there's no it's it's literally impossible philosophically impossible to fully articulate a problem right mm-hmm. as in like literally yeah, like, proven it's literally proven you can't do it right
0: it's it's just not possible. So, so everything that-
1: you do is model-based. And I think if, if like that's the skill set that, that makes you yeah. able to do anything.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that reminds me of a while back we talked about that, that chaos book where they talked mm-hmm. about how like if you, you can't even predict the weather because you have – if you put a sensor every 100 feet and make a grid of sensors all around the entire world, right, then all you're doing is you're measuring – the atmospheric pressure, you know, blah, 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 at ground level Mm -hmm. in 100-foot intervals. And anything could be happening in between those sensors. And and above them. Mm-hmm. and above them and, and also and all it, the sensors are probably placed on like
1: buildings and shit right so what you're actually measuring is what happens on top of buildings
0: right <laughs> you're measuring all kinds <laughs> you of know? random shit you didn't want to be measuring and then also like if you're like well let's let's just add more sensors well the more sensors you add now the sensors themselves start to disrupt the flow of the mm-hmm. air and other shit and then it then you can't predict the effects of that either mm-hmm. right and you also have Which to learn about like... the
1: variation between sensor readings and what that means like how much of that is real how do you know if a sensor Is behaving correctly, right?
0: Right. Yeah. There's also that. Yeah. Yeah. And so this is why, like, you know, you can look at the weather forecast and they'll be like, all right, in in three hours, there's a 30 maybe percent chance of fog, right? It's like, I don't know. Like, this is our my favorite. But they're they're also telling you it says it's
2: raining and then you go outside and it's not raining. Yeah, it's not raining.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but they're also because they're trying to tell
2: (laughs) they're
1: also trying to summarize.
2: The weather, which is again, that's a made-up concept,
1: right? Because like yeah. the weather is basically what's happening in the the column of air above your head. That's that's your experience right? <laughs> of the weather, right? But the weather, with a capital W, as we talk about it, right, is like it's, it's an something that it's so it's think? an abstraction that's that's again a model. That then the outcome of the model is passed on to larger groups of people, where the where the goal is for it to be sufficiently accurate. As utility. That scale that you that it's useful, but that we don't have to go smaller because it costs more and more and more and more to get accurate at those smaller scales, right? And so yeah, so your experience of like what the weather app says, right, is always it's just always mileage off. may vary. Yeah, mileage <laughs> may vary, right? Because it because like nothing the only thing measuring the column air above your head is your own body moving through these columns, right? Um,
0: and that's that's, that's it. it. Otherwise, but yeah, the models are useful. Yeah. I want to put up a plug for underwater basket weaving real quick because mm. this it's a
2: thing that you, if you haven't heard it, it's a very common, like basically, it's a
1: conservative.
2: It's side. saying about about uselessness in college, right? About yeah. the idea that learning stuff is is useless, right? Or that um, you should
1: only learn things that you can. St- Turn
2: into a labor skill That you can sell On the labor market For a high price Yes More specifically Yes yep. um, Basically yeah Things that have a Theoretical application But not an application Currently Or that very clearly Do not have a theoretical Application Even so But even
1: though because, because even though that, Because like, what you're still Talking about is like To sell that In the mm-hmm. Right Because like most of the things that we even sell, like the application is in the fact that you can sell it. That's the whole, yes. just the whole thing, right? So it's actually not about utility. It's not about any of that kind of stuff, right? It's just about like, can you make money doing that?
2: Can you like s- crypto. Yeah, like crypto. Yep. So uh, the interesting thing about, like we said, economics, for example, or even this comp sci stuff, is that the reality is that coming out of college, you will be ill-equipped no matter what to do whatever specific thing you're going to do next. Just sort of contextually, it's just not possible for college to do what it claims to be doing in most cases, which is to prepare you right for
0: yeah, because you won't have experience doing the thing yeah,
2: and and until again, you've and, done it for a while, and the thing <laughs> is very different depending specifically on where you are at, who you are with when you're doing the thing. So even if you're programming, you're like okay, I'm a CS major. I have a programming degree. Uh, if you go between say four different pot- uh, possible uh, different companies after you graduate, the whole stack of stuff they use there, the bosses you interact with, the coworkers you interact with, it's everything what you do, is so, what they expect you to know. Yeah. Exactly. It's so different every single time that dare I say you may have spent your time just underwater basket weaving and had a similarly distant gap between you <laughs> and the reality that's a, a, that's ahead of you, right? Yeah, because if, if you if you like, if you used underwater
1: basket weaving as as a way to like think about the philosophy of how to solve problems, right? Exactly. Then yeah, because because again, and, and, also would have instead taken computer science as a way to like learn computer science, but not as a way to think about these more abstract, higher level problems. Yeah, that's true.
2: Yeah, because because the,
1: the thing you learn specifically doesn't matter. Actually, it's it's the yes, approach and that's, that's, that's to the learning. important.
2: Though. Everything is underwater basket weaving in college. Everything because the reality is that what you have to take away from it is the same thing you would have to take away from an activity like that in order for it to be useful to you as a person which is to say that how does one solve the problem of getting to a certain depth and weaving a basket at that depth without running out of air before coming up okay that's some yeah. And also, shit. what
1: happens? What's the material properties of the things that you're trying to weave? Yeah, well, what under can underwater? You even, right? What can you weave
2: under there? Yeah, because some things will be trying down. to
1: float. Yeah, because yeah, like think about it, if you're trying to weave like those <laughs> big
2: pool noodles underwater. Exactly. Interesting say, engineering problem.
1: How the fuck do you is do that?
2: An exceptionally challenging problem. And so when you actually think about it for two seconds, I think you re- can recognize that in at its abstraction, something like that, it has the same shit in it as every other one of these things does. And it's all kind of made up, and it will all be basically useless to you when you try to leave. So, you know, take the approach of learning how to do stuff broadly so that when you get Dude, out yeah, the this new is stuff— also-
1: yeah. This is also why I always say that that for most people, their their approach to data analysis, they might as well just use a horoscope instead. They might as well use <laughs> astrology, right? For exactly the same reason, which is like people like to they're like, oh well, it's data analysis, therefore it's like okay, this, this idea of like it's not underwater basket weaving, right? Like it's it's worth something, right? When the reality is like it it fucking depends, right? Because most people's understanding and capability around data analysis. Makes us so that the results aren't any better than you would get from just fucking doing some, doing whatever you want doing instead, right? Yeah. Uh, and Read some chicken bones. I don't know. Yeah, and so so kind of categorically being like this is good, this is bad, whatever. Because the reality is, is like just data analysis is the same. You're good at it if you understand what you're modeling and how well the thing reflects, how well your model reflects the thing that you're trying to understand. And then how to convert all of this information and into that model, right? That, that's what It's all the same shit all the, all, over and over again. But the thing that actually matters is not the details of no. the problem. It's your ability to go after a problem.
0: That's always now, the thing that matters. So now I'm imagining a, a college course called underwater basket weaving where literally all they just do on the first day, instead of a syllabus, they just give you a, a job. And they're like, by the end of the semester, you need to have woven a basket underwater. Mm-hmm. And they're not going to give you any guidance at all mm-hmm. on how the fuck you even do that. Because mm-hmm. like you're saying, Sam, the stack of problems you suddenly need to figure out <laughs> how to solve yeah. is actually enormous. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Where even is the water? Where can I get what's a basket? Yeah. What counts as, I, as a basket? You yeah, know what what I mean? counts as a yeah. basket? What counts as a basket? How do I even weave any basket in any context, let alone once I'm fucking underwater underwater? Yep. It is like a you said, diving what's situation it made of? How do I make yeah, it, do it so you, I can hold my
2: breath for seven minutes so I
0: can finish the Do I need to get scuba certified? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, do do I need to be underwater or can I just have your leave, hands underwater? Can I, can I just have the yeah? Like, can a robot do it underwater? Yeah, oh, that's good. Yeah. Does it even have vote? to be
1: water? Or does any liquid count? You know,
0: <laughs> On sub, just a submerged basket. Yeah, yeah. So like, there's a, there's this kind of stack of problems and questions that like you would have to kind of use your own discretion and judgment to talk through and figure out and like compare notes and do research and whatever. And honestly, like going through a, a, a semester with a class like that. Would actually probably be one of the more transformative experiences of college.
2: Yeah, one of the most transformative for me was this this class I took my freshman year, where just sat in a circle and talked about literally random shit that students that happened to people.
0: You just talk about, yeah,
2: and it was like boring. Talking about them ninety percent of the time, yeah. And then otherwise, you're just you're digging into assumptions and stuff like that, and it's like exactly. You know, people look at those um, were those like egg egg engineering competitions and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, yep. they do this in college. They do this in high school. Like
0: can, drop an egg from X height without yeah. breaking it, or and they yeah. and they and it's
2: it always has this air of like it's a competition. It's like engineering, you know, like it's going to be useful. It's underwater basketball. It's all the same. It's just the same yeah. damn thing. It's like yeah. it's like hey,
0: yeah. don't drop an egg. Yep. Just don't do yeah. that. then you don't have to worry about engineering an insanely complicated solution yes. to keep it from breaking. It doesn't right? matter. It's not about uh, the thing. It's just about the approach. It's not about the thing. thing. Yeah. Yeah. So as long I as you think. approach college that way, where yeah, the, you'll be good. No, it doesn't matter what you do, as long as you're taking the approach of trying to extract the, the problem solving and critical thinking aspects of yeah. all of the courses that yeah. you
1: and, take. And having said all that, it, if the stuff that you think you want to do as a, career right if you can take courses related to that and you're approaching it in this way right oh yeah then you that's what's going to give you a, a head start yeah because because there because for in any discipline there's a million things that you have to just also know and again this, this is this is still about modeling right because like if you go into solve programming problems it's not sufficient to be able to convert a problem into a series of like okay well if I do this 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 and this here's my algorithm right that I'm good because you also have to understand like how underlying programming languages do things because that actually gives you the toolkit that tells you how you even can break the problem apart in the first place, right? So either one of these is a head start, whether you like know a whole bunch about that or whether you're just really good at problem solving, right? Both of those are a head start. But the one that matters more is modeling. And if you put those things together, that's the thing that actually truly sets you – Apart, part, but more importantly, sets you on a course where you can just have a good time being really good at solving problems that are interesting to
0: you. And then hopefully somebody will pay you to solve. Yeah. And most importantly, once somebody asks you what you do for a living, you can say modeling. Oh, there you go. Ooh, yeah. yeah. Become a model. <laughs> like, be and then they look at you model. and they're like, really? And you're like, no, no further questions. Like, yeah, I spent at least a few hours in <laughs> modeling. <You know? laughs> That's right. Uh, all right, well, that's all the time we have for this episode. Uh, we'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Sampa de Costa for putting the podcast together, and thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. And as always, please head on over to Steam to give Crashlands 2 a wish list, if you haven't done so already. It helps juice up the algorithm and gets us more, uh, more visibility on the game, and we'd really appreciate it. Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next week. Goodbye.